Ladies and gentlemen, you're live from Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet, on What's happening everybody and welcome to this, another episode of Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet, live, 14 stories high in Glasgow, Wrestlemania week has been and gone and now we move on and talk about non-Wrestlemania things here at Suplex Retweet. I am your host this week, Stephen Wilson and in the week where we had the superstar shakeup, we have got the panel shakeup as we've got a few new faces because some of our panel are in America. Or in places that we should not speak. Ross. <laughs> First, rumour has it that at last count he was 117th on the list of potential Bullet Club new members. It's Stephen Strachan. Strack, how's it going? Not too bad, thanks for having us. Yes, definitely. You looking forward to this show? Yeah, man. Well, I kind of watched the WCW when it started to crumble, so... All good. Yes, absolutely. And joining us, he's been described as the butt gun of the McLeod household from the Scott and Paul Rambling podcast. It's Scott McLeod. Alright. How's it going? Good. This is where the big boys play, huh? This is where the big boys play, yes. You have came to the big leagues tonight. (laughs) Sorry. Poor time to pause. Yeah. Scott, it's nice to have you. And rounding off our panel this week, fresh from another promo beatdown from Samoa Joe, it's the Scottish Big Dog. It's Alamek Lucas. Alright mate, how's it going? Not bad, how's yourself? I'm good mate, I'm good. Good, good. And finally, with a mic, even though he will say he knows barely anything about WCW's history. Excuse me? <laughs> I know what it stands for. <laughs> <laughs> it's our EP, it's Quacko Adji. What's up, what's up? How's it going? Ah, not bad. I got to see the truth last night, so I'm happy. <laughs> yes, and you were raging at Ross Slagdom. I'm raging with Ross all the time, nothing's here. <laughs> Join the club. <laughs> Try living with him. <laughs> Hi Ross. <laughs> Hope you're listening. We love you really. He's probably turned off by now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so this is Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. For anybody who's new to the podcast and would like to see what we do all the time, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. We are at Suplex Retweet. Uh, so, the subject of tonight's show, uh, for anybody familiar with our past, uh, back in December time we tried to do this show, which was around about the demise of WCW, purely because we were t- it was 20 years since WCW Starcade happened, which was one of the, meant to be the biggest moment in the company's history, which turned out to be a bit of a flop, so we thought, we'll talk about WCW for that point in time. The recording broke. And it never went to the podcast. So, for the very few people who listened to that one live, well done. But we're going to do it again. So, and obviously we couldn't get the same panel. So we've got you guys in today. So he's looking forward to talking about the, the, the company who was meant to be the most successful of all time at that one point and didn't become that. They had the potential, they had a lot of potential to become the leaders, but through a lot of creative control and ideas, it kind of sunk itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was... If you, we, we'll look kind of always about the history of before we talk about the things that we're mainly going to talk about some of the key events that led to the demise. Obviously, there's so much that, that could have done, that played, a, played an impact. And maybe we might not talk about some of the main stuff, but we'll try and talk through some of the main points we've got down here. But first of all, we'll kind of talk 
how the companies, the history was about them before they it all went wrong. Now they were established, uh, they were originally under the NWA banner. Uh, one of the big companies, obviously, around the time when WWF started buying out all the territories. They were eventually acquired by Ted Turner in 1988 to make sort of some sort of competitor for the WWE, WWF at the time. Uh, they split from the NWA and they gave creative control to a Mr. Eric Bischoff, who would successfully try, for a spell, try and run the company as a competitor to WWE, brought in some of the big talent. We saw Hulk Hogan, Scott Hall, Randy Savage, you name them in the 80s, they showed up in WCW at some point. Virgil, <laughs> for example. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there was so much that went on, and then we eventually got uh, the U World Order was formed. Uh, so much happened, I mean, they were on track, they were killing WWF in the ratings. I mean, how much memories do we have of that point in time in, w- in terms of w- the start of the Monday Night Wars, essentially? I just remember crying when Hogan turned heel. <laughs> it was like, no, no, but it was uh, looking back, it's a spectacular thing to happen, mm-hmm. and um, you know, with uh, Miz having a pop at them, they night in Raw, as well, claiming that this Mr. Ad was going to be better than NWO, and the reaction of the crowd, it just shows how popular they still are today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, 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 they were, it was so popular, I mean, it's amazing to think that somebody could compete with WWE in the ra- ratings, but WCW did that on a weekly basis and some some of the TV was good I mean uh, WWE was it mostly was it really good at that point in time or was it a combination of the fact WWE wasn't really uh, at the, at the, at the, on the ball track I, th- I think we what the, the biggest factor was the, back then the WWE had this you almost notice a difference between 1996 and 1998 the, the whole looks different the feels different the, the wrestling's different everything's completely changed because it seemed to be the old fashioned Pale blue ring, red, white, and blue ropes, and it was gimmicky. Like wrestlers, the trash, ma- uh, no trash man, sorry, the repo man, and IRS, and things like that. And WCW kind of made it a bit more realistic, mm-hmm. and that's what people thought was quite appealing. Yeah. Um, obviously, they're bringing out big stars to make it even more. They had a, f- a foundation, obviously, with Ric Flair, mm-hmm. um, but there was the WWE had to make th- they had to make that change. Or a WCW was gonna <coughs> was just gonna bury them because it was just the old style, and WCW was something new, and it was something appealing to the younger generation who watched wrestling but didn't want the stigma of it being like gimmicky mm-hmm. type wrestling. They wanted something that looked real, because mm-hmm. like, like, some of the matches and some of the gear the guys wore just looked like a street fight, mm-hmm. and obviously they had new plans where to go. The Hogan heel turn was perfectly timed. Mm-hmm. That's genius that they pulled the trigger at that specific point because that's what accelerated them because nobody had ever seen Hogan as a heel it was always kind of he was the good guy it was the John Cena of the 80s <laughs> he was never done anything wrong and then he turned heel which was something you wouldn't even think about doing but it just shows that a change isn't necessarily a bad thing yeah I mean you talk about characters there love WWE had likes of the Reaper Man they were becoming stale but uh, Scott I mean the, the NWO they were cool, you know, and I think that's yeah. what appealed to a lot of people and still appeal to them today. Yeah, uh, like you see, like the Look Club get a lot of comparisons to NWO, but no, uh, NWO was maybe like based on a faction that Bischoff had seen in Japan mm-hmm. and Bullet Club based in Japan. So essentially, it's that uh, concept with Bullet Club going back to how it originated. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of showing my age here, but when the New World Order founded, I was born a couple of months later. <laughs> 
So wow, I, I, I feel old. My, a, a lot of my knowledge <laughs> you feel of this. Old. <laughs> I'm old. No, this in the room. <laughs> a lot of my knowledge is going to be from like after the fact, for like documentaries and all stuff like that. There's a debate going on in the studio. Who is the oldest in the room? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm 31. Oh, thank God, I'm not the oldest. <laughs> well, and that's my cue sorry, to mate. leave. Well, last week, Ross was laughing at everyone because he was the baby in the room, and I quickly shut him down. Um, it wasn't picked up on the radio, but he was quickly shut down, so don't claim you're the baby, otherwise you get the same shut down. <laughs> but yeah, there was, there was, it was kind of like it felt fresh. I mean, um, it was interesting. Uh, I quite liked the idea. I mean, Alan, uh, Eric Bischoff, how he integrated himself within the, the, the NWO. Mm. They were kind of cool, but you kind of wanted to see them get beat up at the same time. You wanted to see them go down. It was kind of that mix because of Bischoff in there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, especially when the, the rival NWO started, the Wolfpack as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that And you had the two set factions one head to head as well. well. That was fantastic to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there was a lot of interesting things. Obviously, WWE were not doing the same thing, and things were. Uh, frailing in WWE, I mean it kind of led towards uh, the Montreal Screwjob in 1997, I think that was kind of like, WWE were showing signs obviously, Austin it, it came about the year before, there were there was signs obviously the things were going, but the Montreal Screwjob kind of looked like they were on the rails, and I think WCW, they had a great chance around at that point in time to really kill WWE in the water, I think it's fair to say after the Screwjob, do you agree with that statement? That? Yeah. Yeah, that kind of started things off because I mean, this yet again the style through with that arena looked to the older ones. It kind of it was showing that we're moving forward, and I think Vince, seen WCW obviously were taking Hogan, Savage, Nash, Hall, Virgil, Mister Perfect, all the, the the old WWE guys, and try to build his own new guys: Austin, The Rock, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, even guys like Owen Hart. It was trying to build them up to make them as good as what they were. Mm. They were really, really, good, really, really talented guys, which kind of he had to showcase what he had, what he has, rather than what he had. Yeah, yeah, totally understand. But obviously, say Montreal Screwjob was looked like it was going to be WWE could have uh, capitulated, and that's where we kind of stopped talking about some of the events that kind of led to the demise of WCW. It's one of the ones that really is fondly in my memory. It's one I talked about at the start of the show. There's why we did this show originally was Starcade in '97. Now, to many people, 1997 was, WCW were hitting the, pre- the, the peak, this was the chance, and 1997 was the, Starcade was going to be the end of probably a feud that was 18 months in the making, between Sting and Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Uh, I think it's fair to say, round about that time, it was up there as one of the best build-ups for a match I think has ever been in wrestling, it's fair to say. Uh, anybody who's got any thoughts on that kind of... R- that these two had, that Sting had with the NWO and Hogan? You don't have any thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know something I vaguely remember that pay-per-view to be honest. I <laughs> remember that. I just remember the fact that Sting was antagonising him and didn't say a word. He didn't have to speak to wind up the, the, the NWO and get the fans on his side. And that was so enticing to see. Yeah, it was bro. Uh, that was a great part about him. I mean, mm-hmm. Sting had been that kind of colourful character in the nineties, and when the NWO had come out, he was kind of like, "I'm kind of sick of this." He got dark. He got darker um, in terms of his character until he eventually disappeared into the shadows, literally. and then literally <laughs> disappeared into the shadows, and he came back in that type of crow character. Exactly. Yeah, and I think that was it. Was so good to kind of see dropping down from the rafters, attacking people, just disappearing again. Like he's going out, fantastic. I mean, you kind of think about wrestling nowadays. I mean, you wouldn't really think of them taking away the star, one of the star men, 
for 18 months, not speaking a word and not having a match. It's unthought of in wrestling these days, I think it's fair to say. Last time I seen anything like it was in TNA. That was uh, AJ Styles, Bobby Roode, James Storm, the Faction 4 or something like that they were called. Fortune, uh, Fortune 4. Fortune 4, that was it. Um, they tried that, but it, it just didn't work. It just it didn't have the pulling power the same way Sting did. Because Sting, although he wasn't speaking, the eyes said a lot. Mm-hmm. You could tell how Sting was reacting and want people to react by just looking at his eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was the type of thing like, it was so hot. I mean, as I said, the NWO class is cool, but people still wanted to see them get to go down. Mm-hmm. And Sting was that guy. And this was anticipated to be so big for the company, this event. Starcade 97, it was in December. It was the month after the screw job. They were in the perfect position to take WWE to the cleaners. Uh, it drew the largest buy rate in the company's history. It was on it was on track. There was even the added influence. Bret Hart as well was an added point in that as well. This was Bret Hart's debut night on the show. I mean, guys, did you think the fact that Bret Hart had signed at that point in time maybe changed what w, uh, WCW were thinking about doing? Uh, sorry, I think so because the botched finish is famous in this match. I think it's because they were trying so hard to get Brett involved and capitalise on the screw job mm-hmm. instead of like just going with a regular like finishing culmination of the story mm-hmm. that uh, I think that's when the beginning and the end time because because if they didn't if they just went with a regular finish I don't think there would have been a same kind of botch mm-hmm. like apparently they even tried to get uh, Earl Hebner to come to them and be the referee that did the fast count is this continuous idea that all the old ex-WWF guys stuck together in the NWO they couldn't get him so that's why they had to get Nick Patrick to do it imagine if they got Hebner over? <laughs> that would be that would be something in history, wouldn't it? We wouldn't have got so many moments in WWF, you know, with obviously the fast the rivalry with Triple H and the DX in the early two thousands, <laughs> where they did the fast count to screw Triple H. Yeah. Jericho should have won that belt. I, I, that that moment annoys me in history. I think Jericho should have won that belt and ran with it. But we could be here all day talking about that type of stuff with Jericho. We're here to talk about WCW. Uh, but the night came to Starcade and I. Uh, the the cards before this match didn't really help things. I don't think. I mean, I mean, some of you may have not vaguely remember this match in great detail, or the, the show in great detail. But I'll go over some of the matches that we got. I mean, uh, Goldberg versus Steve McMichael. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we had Bagwell versus Luger. Uh, we had a six-man tag match that featured Scott Norton, Vincent, better known as Virgil. And Randy Savage taking on Ray Trailer, better known to many people as the Big Boss Man and the Steiner Brothers. And before the main event, we also got a fantastic five-star rated match between Larry Zabisco and Eric Bischoff, where Bret Hart was the referee. Does that scream like a five-star show to you guys? No, no, no. no it's, it's, it's not exactly going to keep fans. Was on the that seat. a Meltzer rating? <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me started on Meltzer ratings. He gave Nicholas one star. <laughs> that is I know, a, how dare he? That is a travesty. Just listening to that card, how uh, Goldberg sees that Michael didn't go on last is just the biggest travesty of that show. Forget the screwy finish, that's I'm, the biggest travesty. I'm going to do a Dave stat. That lasted 5 minutes and 59 seconds. <laughs> 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 it was the shortest match on the card. But no, uh, the, the card before it didn't really help things. Then we got to the main event, and as uh, Scott referenced there, the screwy finish is in folklore with this match. With essentially, well, You've you, you all got a good knowledge of wrestling. You know kind of how these things work with these kind of feuds. It leads to the face getting the win over the heel. It should not lead to the heel dominating the face for 10 minutes. But that's the type of thing Hogan goes. I mean, there's, there's a lot of talk about Hogan using these backstage politics. Uh, there's a lot of talk about Sting being overweight and not being physically 
able to have a match. I mean, Strachan, you could talk about Hogan all day, but... <laughs> You really don't want me to. You really, <laughs> really don't want me to talk about Hogan. I do. Uh, <laughs> if this is maybe one after nine o'clock, I can maybe speak about Hogan because I can use the language I'd like to use. But no, that's one thing I, I, I can I fully contribute to WCW's demise is Hogan's. Not just Hogan. There was a lot of guys who had creative control in their contract, and that is what torpedoed a lot of the, the WCW because it was like, oh, this guy wants to go over this way. Everybody wanted to be a chief. No one they wanted wanted to be an Indian. An Indian. So it's like you, you can't really go anywhere if everybody's refusing to lose. Yeah, I mean, it's, there's so much that, that's going to play a big part in the show. I mean, so much of these things about creative control. We're going, that'll come up in some of the other moments we kind of talk about. But the thing I found hilarious about this finish, I mean, the kind of to anybody who doesn't know the finish to this match. Uh, Hogan wins with a leg drop. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nick Patrick counts the one, two, three. Match over. Hogan wins. Now, Bret Hart then comes in and then says, "No, I am not going to let this match end this way." Because apparently, Nick Patrick was supposed to do a fast count. He had one job. <laughs> <laughs> one job. Yeah, it's, it's famous now. Is it? Nick Patrick did a normal count, and Bret kind of much goes like, "No, Sting should not lose in such a screwy way." And it's kind of like, "No, wait, Sting just lost." Fairly, <laughs> he's been. He's, this, this explains why he's been in the rafters for eighteen months. He's wrestling is absolutely. He's got absolutely gaff. <laughs> but no, I mean, just describing that finish, it's understandable how fans can be really, really annoyed. It's how a lot of WWE fans felt at the end of Mania the other week, where uh, the big dog got absolutely bloodied. Alan, you're still feeling the pain. I can see the stitches on his head. The headaches are terrible, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised you even made it here today. <laughs> I always turn up for work, I ain't Lesnar. <laughs> oh. And if Touché. you wait after 9 o'clock, then you hear what I think of Lesnar. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, fans were in perfect right to be uh, unhappy with us, I think it's fair to say. And it's, it, you'd understand that some of them maybe switched off in the months after it. I think it's fair to say, you guys. What's up? Yeah. Thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah I'm pretty sure this was the beginning of when WCW started to hinder their, themselves because this is when like the poor decisions started. Like you said, like they were trying to get Hart involved in this storyline just to capitalise on the fact that he was a, another yet yeah, another former Vince guy, mm-hmm. rather than just going with like maybe have you can still have Hogan get a lot of offence if Sting makes this heroic comeback at the ending, beats him, mm-hmm. but then just they wanted to just overbooked it and. That's really the story of WCW's final year, it's just overbooking it just way too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the 1997 was supposed to be such a great year, but it went start, it started going downhill, and this is the point where we started to see the ratings start to drop in WWF, obviously they started to do the actual at this point in time, and they kind of coincided, but WCW made a big push in, the, in 1998 to try and revive those ratings, and the man that they put in the, the place of this one was Bill Goldberg, now WWE Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. Congratulations to him. Shame barely any WWE superstars got to see it live because <laughs> they had to get shipped out of the room. Uh, but they positioned Goldberg, I think, as a monster face. Ran through the company. Absolutely was meant to. Went this. I mean, can anybody remember exactly the number of matches he went unbeaten? I think. Sorry, I'm just going to guess it. Is it 173? At least that's the claim number. I don't think that's the real number, though. Mm-hmm. Our resident stats men are off this week, so I'm not exactly too sure off the top of my head, but it was a, such a, a, a big streak. Because yeah. when they like, drastically change it from like week to week, like he'd wrestle, it looked like he'd wrestled like, five matches between Nitros when he, he clearly hadn't. <laughs> uh, the, it was 173, he went unbeaten before he eventually won. Well, we'll kind of talk about that in a wee bit later on. You could get a job, Dave's on holiday. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's in New Orleans the week after WrestleMania. I know. <laughs> you know? Uh, a brief mention of Dave on this podcast this week. He messaged me last night going, My roommate's a wrestling fan. He's wearing a Balor t shirt. 
I could just imagine the excitement in his face, you know? It's like, oh, yes, I have. I could talk to him about wrestling. <laughs> Sorry, Dave. I bet that was the highlight of his trip. <laughs> He's got three weeks left, we'll see what happens. But no, the positioner was such a, mon- uh, a monster face. They, they, it led to a night in mid-1998 where they hoped, we're going to swing the ratings and we're going to give Goldberg the title. Now, um, Strat, you talked about green wrestlers when you talked about Ronda Rousey a few weeks ago. Was Goldberg in this category at this point in time? Aye. It, it, the one thing I always say is they send big guys in who just squash people because they really can't be trusted to go out there and put something together. So they've done it with Ryback it was as well. It's just big guys going out, flatten somebody, obviously a lot of smaller than them. Can't really hurt them if they do botch it. And it's Goldberg was kind of the same. We'll build them up to be an absolute destroyer. But if you did watch Goldberg's actual matches, I mean, look at what happened to Bret Hart when he kicked him in the side of the head and that was Bret Hart done. Mm-hmm. There's still... I, there's a lot of guys there, up there, who are in the Hall of Fame and they're well recognised and they're not really that great a wrestler, but there's guys that are not even in the mid-card and they're superb wrestlers. Mm-hmm. It's just really... If that's a look at the time, that's what they wanted. They wanted Goldberg to be a destroyer, they wanted to rip through people, be untouched. That's what they got. But you could say he, he was very over at that point in time, which I think was why they helped, they helped get him that push to that point, I think. The fans Aye. were really into watching these matches. Aye, because the guilty pleasure, who doesn't like watching somebody get beat up? It's, it's the UFC, when you watch Ronda Rousey, when she was fighting and she was just flattening people, and that was... People do enjoy... It's a guilty pleasure. People do enjoy watching other people get flattened. Well, we we kind of see that in the current day with Braun Strowman. I mean, yeah. mm-hmm. Braun is probably arguably the most over guy on the Raw roster because yeah. he goes out there and literally flattens everybody right. with a 10 year old <laughs> not using a 10 year old <laughs> a 10 year old as his partner but yes yeah, it's, 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 it's an appeal to people I mean Alan are you going to chip in with something else? yeah I agree with what you're saying about Lesnar the fact that the fans are there's not no Lesnar sorry um, Stoneman <laughs> just what you're talking about the fans he goes to walk away and the fans are like one more one more one more he just keeps doing it mm-hmm. yeah I agree yeah, but the thing about it, Goldberg's wrestling wasn't the main point I was actually going to bring up about this, but this wasn't the main issue to me. No, the issue kind of revolves around when they went and pulled the trigger with Goldberg winning the World Heavyweight Championship. Now, it was ni- July 6, 1998, and they, d- they obviously decided to cash in. So he would face Hogan for the title. Everybody was so up for seeing it. End of the night, Jack Hammer, Goldberg wins the title. My main issue is the fact that this match happened on an episode of... WCW Monday Night Nitro. You've got the guy who you're going to position as the big star in the company you've given unbeaten for so long, and you give it away on free television for ratings. Was this a case of short-term gain over long-term strategy? Definitely. Scottish reports. Definitely, because uh, like you said, uh, this is purely a ratings thing and nothing else. Because like they were clearly going to give Goldberg the title at some point, but I think if WWF wasn't starting to climb back up in the ratings, they would have held out maybe to like a Starcade. Mm-hmm. or something like that but I think it's because WWE was starting to get some momentum they wanted to quickly find something to capitalise and the one like, thing that's still drawing people in well, one of the things that's still drawing people in is Goldberg and his rise so let's capitalise on it now and a lot of people forget that when he won the world title he also had the US title for some reason he was, I, he'd won the US championship I think he beat Raven, yeah, beat Raven, Raven for the US championship oh. not long before that it was just a case of just running just kind of yeah, yeah. they only had so many guys he could beat yeah. Especially mm-hmm. with an unbeaten run, I mean, it doesn't have the same effect, I don't think, if you beat the same person multiple times. Mm-hmm. I mean, the one issue I kind of had with the, the way they all the Asuka streak is a lot of her matches were on house shows. 
<laughs> and with the NXT women's roster, there's only so many people you can beat, especially mm -hmm. on house shows, where they essentially face the same person yeah, like four times in a week yeah. on a house show. So that's kind of the thing, but that's the issue that kind of had with Goldberg. He's, the list of people he could have beat was growing slow, so they kind of, it was in a way that they kind of had to pull that trigger soon, but big pay-per-views were coming up, you know. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of things, you know, was it worth risking work for that one big win? Did you think they had some they had some thoughts in their head that they, this was going to lead to a sustained ratings rise, or do you think they thought it was just going to be a one-time thing and they just went with it? I think it was kind of they thought it the way is if we do this on a free show, it'll be kind of like a preview, not like the WWE to the pre-show. It'll be kind of well, look what we've got. We've got this destroyer. He just beat Hulk Hogan. He's now got two titles. Come watch us, and it'll be. It's kind of an advertisement, try to give somebody a sample to show what they've got to then tune into the rest. I think that was their intention. Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. And it is weird to me though, because they could have made millions off this much. Aye. Mm -hmm. I mean, millions. I mean, could you, this was a point, obviously, nowadays it's not. It's a bit different because we've got the WWE Network. We can watch anything for that one nine ninety nine payment a month, as we <laughs> constantly told. Uh, so it's maybe not got the same effect now, but you're talking about in that 90s, late 90s period, it could have made an absolute fortune. When you look at kind of the money, a classic example. Again, he's not here, but he would love me talking about this. <laughs> Alan, actually, Alan's here. Alan loves the Rock. Uh, at WrestleMania 29 uh, with uh, Rock and Cena, the amount of money yep. that made, you know. Mm -hmm. So I'm not in any way comparing Goldberg to the Rockers, John Cena, uh, but he obviously is a big guy. So kind of in that point in time, it's kind of seen as a similar type of match. So it would, you figure the money that made then kind of. Take it a wee bit down, but still would have made an absolute force. And it could have seen them help with those issues, you know, the production values type thing, things that kind of fell as the years went on. That could have been done, they stopped with just this particular one smart decision. But I think it was just a case of there's a lot of talk about Bischoff, how obviously he kind of he got so involved with it, he kind of lost track of what was going on. Mm -hmm. Was this a case of that? Kind of he was just thinking, I want to beat Vince? Possibly. I mean, they were both at each other's neck throats, and WWE did it with Mick Foley and it's Mankind beating the rock. Which kind of ended the Monday Night Wars, that was the moment. So, it's either sink or swim, and I think sadly it just didn't work for WCW. Um, Bishop, you're saying, pulled the trigger too early. Yeah, it was great, might have put in the lead for a couple of weeks, but then the mastermind, McMahon, waited and waited, and he knew when he pulled the trigger, and that was it. Game uh, over. So, he had his big match, uh, he had the big match a couple of months earlier when mm -hmm. Austin won the, the title. Yeah. Mike Tyson, you know, that was a big moment. Yeah. He saved Austin for so long with the championship mm. and it paid off and obviously for the next two years uh, Austin would run essentially shopping WWE by yeah. himself. Scott, what have you said? Sorry, just like we said, like like trying to save it and instead of giving away on free TV, I think if they built it a bit more and actually did it on like that year Starcade, like mm. how big a star Goldberg was getting at the time, I think they could have even like topped, like you said, the year before where that was the biggest buy rate. Mm. Like, see Goldberg finally, like, even though Hogan lost last year, he was still and like the main events, he was still dominating as world champion. But to finally have a, another rising baby face, like take him down at the, the biggest show of the year for them, could have probably topped their buy rate from the year before. But like I said, it's just a bit all about the ratings at the time. Yeah, I mean, we talk about ratings. I mean, they did win the ratings war that night. However, yeah. they would only win the ratings one more time in their history. Can anybody off the top of head tell me what that was? Uh, I believe it was the night after Halloween Havoc. 98 because the pay-per-view went off midway through DDP Gore because Hogan and his classic five-star match with Ultimate Warrior went way too long. <laughs> uh, I 
think that's, I don't think that's actually the case. Oh, anybody else get any thoughts on this? I watched it today and I can't remember now. <laughs> I, was, I, was so confident. I was so confident about that as well. <laughs> um, no, I, I don't, honestly don't know, I'd be guessing. It was the night of September 14th, 1998, where Ric Flair returned to reform the Four Horsemen. Came back there, uh, it just came back to me. He was and his he cheated promo with Eric Bischoff mm-hmm. was if you watch it is hilarious because you can just tell that's not that wasn't really the planned promo. That was just two guys shouting each other. <laughs> yeah, but I, I actually really liked that moment. Actually, I mean, again, Steve, why is, why was Steve McMichael <laughs> such a prominent part of the Horseman? Can somebody please tell me why he gets so much in there? Was his nickname no Mongo? Yeah, maybe he had photos on somebody. <laughs> <laughs> he was married to Deborah at one point. Deborah Austin's Deborah. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Wow. He was an NFL player. You know. You know. You see how we use the NFL players nowadays. I mean, some they get blocked by security guards at WrestleMania. You know. Or get allowed in a ring like Mojo Riley. <laughs> <laughs> Do you see his tweet? It says about Paige. I hope you recognise real talent. I mean, you better hope that's not true, oh. mate, or you're gone. Oh, but I tweeted. I tweeted him back. Oh, when he said that, he said, he said, I hope you recognise your talent. I said, you're going to be waiting a while. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care, I don't like him. Did yeah, I tweet, I tweet, troll him all the time as well. <laughs> yeah, we, I saw some of the comments Scott was making about Mojo and the, the Superstar shake-up. And the moment when he got brought to Raw, I think, through great pain in the McLeod household. Oh, God. Please don't remind me, I was having a good time up till now. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't as much hate in the McLeod household as it was when uh, Natalia came on screen, but we're not going to talk about that. That's a, oh, that's no, not again, not again, please no. <laughs> I said Mojo Riley that. <laughs> oh, 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 that's oh. harsh, that's harsh. But moving away from Mojo, we're not, we, I do not, we don't want to talk about Mojo. Uh, we then move on to another, to this, the, that year's Starcade in 1998. Now, you guys were kind of saying this, like, this could have been a great opportunity to do Hogan versus Goldberg. Goldberg wins the title, the streak goes on, everybody's happy. They went with the decision to go <laughs> with Kevin Nash and Goldberg. Now, the thing about this, well, this is a lot of the time where the backstage politics really started to come to the fore, I think it's saying. I think it's fair to say. We strike you came about that earlier on. Uh, Kevin Nash was uh, a renowned for making decisions. I mean, he was a wrestler and a booker at this point in time. I mean, that's traditionally not a great combination in wrestling, I think it's fair to no, say. No, because I mean, do you know what the guys used to call Eric Bischoff? Easy E. Because <laughs> he was so easy to manipulate to say, oh, I've got this great idea, and they go, yeah, that's a great idea, and it's like, no, it really isn't, but you really want to go with that, you can go with that, but I think what happened is, because Nash, Hogan, Hall, all kind of got in quite pally with off, they had a f- they had total creative control on a free ride, we're getting, it's basically a license to print money, hmm. so, but they've got creative control, as I said before, nobody really wants to look bad on TV. Mm-hmm. I mean... Even we're looking 1998 point, but is this a match that screams main event of your biggest show? Even at this point in time, I mean Kevin Nash wasn't as obviously done up as he done in as he was when he came to WWE in 2002, but he was still kind of a draw. So you can understand maybe why they would have went with this one, even if he wasn't in charge. I think I can understand it because he was a big guy. You know, he's probably the second biggest guy in WCW physically after Paul White. Mm. So I can understand he's a big draw and. To push him forward because it was all seen Goldberg as a big guy, so let's put him on head to head with a bigger guy and see what happens. So, yeah, I can understand it being a draw, a big draw for it. Because um, they kind of done the Hogan thing already, and 
I don't know. I don't think two baby faces with Goldberg and Sting going with have had the same pool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it, it was kind of like I'm kind of looking at the card they had that night, and um, we didn't have the likes of um, Hogan wasn't there. Obviously, Hogan was away running for president. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know where they came with that one, but the card wasn't exactly as solid. I mean, granted, it was still better than the year before, but there was some in, there was some weird matches in there. I mean, we had it, Bischoff had a match again against Flair. I mean, that was kind of a payoff for mm-hmm. that kind of yeah. when uh, Billy Kidman got two wins in the one night. <laughs> For the Cruiserweight Championship. And he, he beat some quality wrestlers as well on that night. Rey Mysterio, Juventud Guerrero and Eddie Guerrero. I heard. In the one night. Yeah. I mean, screw Jericho beating Rock and Austin in the one <laughs> night. That is something. DDP uh, yeah. beat uh, the Giants. Uh, so, but they were kind of some of the big ones, but we had the likes of it. Uh, Finlay was an attack match. Wasn't with with uh, Jerry Flynn. The, uh, sorry, Scott Norton was on the show in a attack match. I can't remember who yeah, it was. Yeah, he was in that, that match. match. I just mentioned it. It teamed with Brian Adams. Yeah, I Again, believe, with Vincent involved. Why was he so involved? I believe from what I've seen, uh, he was, Scott Norton was actually IWGP champion at this point. And he was actually, I don't, I can't remember who it was he was meant to face, but he was actually meant to scheduled to defend that title on this show. And he, he, he ends up in a tag match. I mean, I know, I understand like plans falling through, but to go for a world title match, essentially, to a tag match is just on the biggest show of the year as well. I mean, kind of like, there's there's so many things about it, I mean, obviously, but Kit Nash, you can understand why they went with Nash, and if memory serves me right, this match, the match itself was actually quite well received for the kind of back and forth. I mean, Goldberg obviously is not renowned as a, a star technical wrestler, he's not your AJ Styles. Yeah, John Cena, whatever they want to be called. Uh, <laughs> just, you just compared AJ Styles to John Cena? It's an inside joke. Ah. Uh, <laughs> we'll fill you in on the break. <laughs> Not comparing them technically, no, no, it's just an inside joke, don't worry about it. I, I hold my hands up to any of the AJ lovers. Uh, everybody loves AJ. I don't know if they doesn't like AJ in the ring. But, uh, yeah, but the match was quite well received for what it was. The issue many people had was the finish. Now, we had a dodgy finish at the end of the year before show. Wasn't exactly the same, but... Oh god, was this quite a dreadful finish? Oh. I mean, uh, what's, your, what's your thoughts on how this match finished, guys? I mean, the Scott, what's your thoughts? Well, I was gonna say first off, for one standpoint, you can see what they were going for from one standpoint, where it's like having some interference to hopefully keep Goldberg strong and defeat. Like they had, to, they had to get people who had to get involved in order to beat him. Mm-hmm. But uh, a taser or whatever it was they used is maybe not the way to go about it. Uh, what was a kettle prod or something? A like cattle that? prod. Cattle prod, yeah. I mean, kettle what? prod. Kettle prod, cattle prod. Potato, potato. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm Dave's not here, so I'm doing some botches. <laughs> <laughs> Intentional botches. I need to stop talking to Dave. He's gonna think, you're going to think he's really popular on this show. Uh, be boasting about it in New Orleans. <laughs> You're talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> every, every time you say his name, his ears perk up a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> he's been here for le- for about half an hour. He already knows the way things go. <laughs> but uh, no, back on the subject. Uh, the issue people had, obviously, that kind of finish, it was not the feeling of a big match ending. I mean, nobody likes a kind of screwy finish at the end mm-hmm. of your big show. No. I mean, you hear with WrestleMania, nobody... WrestleMania 2000, not many people like that sh- the way that finish with the McMahons all getting involved, screwing mm-hmm. The Rock. Um, there's res- Even in WrestleMania 17, the one people class as the greatest WrestleMania of all time, a lot of people don't like how that ended with uh, Vince coming out and helping Austin, and Austin using the chair a million times on The Rock. Uh, it was not a good night. <laughs> <laughs> Austin in the title was great, but I don't like. I'm, I'm not a fan of that finish. As great as the match was, so that was another one thing. The other things were, was this the right time for Goldberg streak to end? As we said, it was 173 wins. It ran through most of the roster, so you could argue there was nobody else for it to beat. But 
They, should they have kept it going anymore? What, what's your thoughts? Should the streak have ended that night, Alan? A tough one. <laughs> um, I mean, all good things come to an end, but... But this is, this is what I said about Asuka, and I said this to you, Stephen, like, after the WrestleMania. Charlotte had to beat Asuka, because if, if, she, if Asuka beat Charlotte and took the title, she's pretty much beat everybody else. So it's just going to be boring. It's going to be Asuka's not going to beat any, And then who are you going to have to beat Asuka? Because she's already better already. So it would have to be what they've done with this. They've kind of went, we've backed ourselves in a corner with Goldberg. We can't really do anything apart from screw him. That's the only way. That was, to be honest, I kind of seen why they done that because it was the only way out. They couldn't have somebody beat him one on one and go, "Wait a minute, how could you not beat him one on one before?" But now you can do it. Mm-hmm. So that was the only way they had out of it. And as I say, that's the same reason why I didn't ask her. They had to pull the trigger and go right, call the streak a finish, and we'll just we'll build a new a new chapter for there. Yeah, I mean, call me traditional though. I don't I, like I said, I don't really like the screwy finishes on your big mm-hmm. pay per view. So I could understand if they did it and maybe like a smaller pay per view. But again, it's your total. It's kind of swings in both ways I mean obviously why would you end the sh- the sh- a streak on a small pay-per-view type thing you know it's kind of it swings that way as well you know I mean as people say what was the what would the point if Asuka had lost the streak to say somebody that, like maybe like Alexa Charlotte or anybody like an Alexa Bliss on like a battleground show you know would it have the same impact absolutely no. not so it's kind of the both ways on that one I mean talk about the other part of that match was was Kevin Nash the right man to do it I don't think there's going to be anybody else really to do it because WCW, apart from a small group of guys like outside the NWO, they weren't really known at that point for building up new stars. So I don't think I think they felt we don't have time to wait for a new guy to get built up. And from one standpoint, if you're going to beat somebody and like some street like Goldberg's, your biggest show of the year is the place to do it. Like Asuka, if you're going to end our street, WrestleMania is obviously the place to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it kind of makes sense in that way. But uh, again. You would have kind of maybe not seen the bad about it looking back if obviously Nash didn't have that position of the head booker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Many people took that as a blatant abuse of power, you know. Yeah. And I think that's what soured a lot of people on this fact. It's like, oh, I'm the main guy. I'm going to do what I want, you know. I mean, you've got there's the thing that maybe people would say about WCW, and we'll talk about a bit later on. They're like great talented mid cards, you know. Mm-hmm. But granted, they couldn't be Goldberg. But the fact that they get the head booker's winning the main title on the main show, you know. But it, it, it comes in roundabouts, but another frustrating part as well for many people who were fans of Goldberg, I mean, they didn't know what to do with him after this either. He floundered for like, the for the, like two years after this, which was quite an, mm-hmm. all that effort to build him up, and then, boom, do absolutely nothing. I think he's, one of the most memorable things that happened to him was when he tried to punch that, <laughs> when he punched the car window and broke his hand. <laughs> <laughs> Did they not put him in a tag team with Bret Hart? I, I think they put him in a tag team with Bret Hart and then Bret Hart joined the NWO which he's a former WDF guy he has to join the NWO that's the rules apparently oh, but that was just they tried to recreate it and just torpedoed it in the process remember when they turned him heel Goldberg in 2000 when they turned him heel when he was I think he sided with Russo and uh, nobody bought him as a heel. That's how memorable mm. that was. Maybe this panel Stun remembers. Stunned silence. <laughs> silence when you mentioned that. <laughs> but we will talk about Vince Russo a lot more in the second half of the show, along with a lot of other things. So stay tuned to us. We'll be back with you in a short minute. But we're talking about things such as Vince Russo's involvement in the company, how they booked the, the likes of this, the undercard with the, the main guys, and a certain moment that put the butts on the seat. So we'll be back with you in a short while. Suplex retweet.
is here tonight as a referee. Is that right? Is that correct? Is he a referee? Signed into the... Here comes Sting. It's going to bring back the Scorpion Death Row. Red Hart down. Hart's ready. He's The winner and new baby. Wait a minute. But what are you talking about? Look, look here. You know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. You want to go to war? You want a war? You're going to get one. I don't want any trouble with you. I don't want any trouble with you here. Now, where is it? What? I'm here. This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective, play. We ain't here to play. Live this Sunday in Baltimore, Great American Bash. You guys want to show up? You want to fight? You show up, I'll see if I can get you your fight. Here I am on WCW television. How can that happen? Well, there's only one way. You see, it was just a matter of time before I, Vince McMahon, bought my competition. That's right. I own WCW. Ladies and gentlemen, you're live from Eat, Split, Suplex, Retreat, on Welcome back to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. I'm Stephen Wilson and I'm joined by Strack, Scott and Alan. And we are talking about the demise of WCW. You were just listening to some of the most memorable moments in WCW history, including some of the ones we talked about in the first half of the show. And obviously one we might not we'll probably want to talk to because after the demise, Vince's announcement that he was buying WCW and he appeared on the TV on the WCW show. I remember watching it that night, that was amazing. What a moment that was actually. That was the Raw Before Mania as well. Uh, I, I, I remember seeing it and I remember hearing the thing about but, uh, Eric Bischoff was trying to put in a, his aim bid with people and like, investors and things like that and then he was told that 
he could buy the company, he could buy the library, he could buy everything he wanted, but he wasn't getting a channel to put it on, so it kind of killed his. <laughs> killed the vibe, yeah. <laughs> Many people have spoken on Twitter say that's the that's the main killing point, was the lack of the TV deal. <laughs> obviously, we're talking about a lot of the, the events that kind of led up to it, so anybody who is listening to the show and wants to join in the discussion of what led to the, the demise of WCW, maybe even debate some of the points we talked about on the show, uh, give us a message on Twitter, we are at Suplex Retweet. Anybody listening live and is enjoying the show, we are on iTunes and Anchor FM, depending on your uh, device you're on. So give us a wee subscribe to that to get this show, any future shows, and all our future content on the same day that we record it live. That's service for you. Oh, <laughs> something happened outside and everybody just kind of looked like, what's going on? <laughs> Should you look at train? <laughs> I think it was the dead man coming in his motorcycle. <laughs> About a week too late. <laughs> <laughs> right, guys, let's move on to our next point, and we're going to take a, the next step in our journey. We're going to go into the beginning of 1999, where not long after the the fallout from Starcade '98, and we were hoping to see a, a, it was a new year in wrestling, it was a new year, and, and we were hoping to get a great fallout. I mean, WCW had wanted to hit the nail on the head originally, and we were met. They'd advertised for the show, and the Georgia Dome in Atlanta sold out. With a full 40, with 45 people watching it live to see Goldberg versus Kevin Nash. Uh, anybody who remembers will be right in saying we did not see Goldberg versus Kevin Nash. Was it, we're talking about there's a lot of mistakes that happened in this night, and this is the first one we're gonna talk about. Should a company advertise a match so heavily and then not not give it to the fans? Especially the first show of the year, guys? What's your thoughts? It's just false, it's kind of like false advertising. It's, you're going to, people will buy, that's I think it was UFC was quite part of it, with obviously the, the Conor McGregor bus thing, a lot of fighters pulled out, people had already bought the pay-per-view, people had already looked to get the pay-per-view, and they weren't going to get the card they were looking at, so it's kind of, it's like going out and shopping, you go to buy something and it's, you get it home and it's like, no, that's not exactly what's, in the, what's described to you, it's mis-selling. Oh, it's got 100% mis-selling, I mean, uh, the announcers didn't help it in that night. Oh boy, the announcers had a bad night, but we'll talk about that more <laughs> in a wee bit. Uh, throughout the night, they kept saying, this is the biggest match in the history of sport. Unlike the guys on the other channel, we deliver a real main event. Boy, you feel sorry for Tony Giovanni in a way, uh, didn't you? Some of the things that was getting fed in that man's ear. It's like, you need to say this. It's like, but we talked about, we're not going to do Goldberg Kevin Nash. We threw that before, like, just say this! It's like, <laughs> oh god, this is terrible. But uh, Alan, what was your thoughts, do you think, on them not giving the advertised match that night? Shocking. Mm-hmm. Absolutely shocking. Actually, <laughs> you're saying there, if, if, uh, if I ordered that to find out that was happening, I'd be demanding my money back. Mm-hmm. I'd be quoting every legal charge in the list to get it back, so no, I would not be in a happy chappy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott, do you agree? Yeah, given the fact that the Reigns were again still going back and forth at this point, Really, to uh, not deliver on an advertised match is really just a big risk of people turning over and tuning back over to their channel, which they end up doing. Yeah, when you when you have to when as you said, there's so much of the channel flicking going on at that point in time. It's a it's a surprising move to kind of go down that line. Uh, but it's, it's, they say they, they were still delivering a show. I mean, they've got a show to put on as well, so they could potentially put on a good show, and then maybe something could happen at the end of it, and you're kind of like, oh well, that's fine, and. Take their credit, they pulled Hulk Hogan out the bag. Now, obviously at that point in time, Hogan was, I would say, as I said, he was on kind of a hiatus from wrestling. I think he was um, he was doing a lot of Hollywood at that point in time, and there was obviously talk that he was going for prison. 
don't know why they went with that line, because obviously we would have found out if he was going for president or not. Uh, but yeah, they went with him going with Kevin Nash in the main event. It was kind of, in a way, it was kind of sold as, well, we're going to get two of the founding fathers of the NWO facing each other for the world title. It might not be as bad as we as we think. Yeah, well, so <laughs> looking at the show, I mean, the main event, uh, it's probably down as one of the dis- most disastrous main events on television, on wrestling, I think it's fair to say. Am I wrong in that? Does anybody think that this match was this main event was good? No, I mean, if, if anybody seen the match, it, it does the, the, whole, the whole finish, the crowd actually starts laughing. And then if you watch the front row, people, when he goes for the pin, everybody's looking going, no, 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 no. And the ref counts to three and everybody's like, what just happened? <laughs> yeah, I mean, to anybody not familiar with the match, uh, Hogan and Nash go face to face and Hogan does what's known as the finger poke of doom. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine, that, that, that sounds like a finishing move for Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like Dave's Charbling. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, he's gonna hate us when he listens back to this. Uh, but no way. Uh, <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Stephen Strachan. <laughs> uh, but but no, he, he literally pokes uh, Nash in the chest. You're right, Quacker. And brief. Weirdly. I've not met Dave, but having, from what I've heard of him, that does not sound like a, not like it wouldn't be a possibility. <laughs> oh, no, no. Um, let's not talk about Dave for the rest of the show in case he, in case he comes back and actually tries to hurt us. Uh, but no, the, fi- the finger poke of doom. So it was essentially Hulk Hogan poked Kevin Nash in the chest. Nash went down. One, two, three. And you are literally thinking, what have they just done? They have... What is actually going on? Many people have described this as the most shocking moment in wrestling history. Is this a fair assessment? Shocking in what the part what is said? What shocking is as in the result? I think the word that somebody says is shocking does not adequately describe this moment. That is what has been referred to. It's more like the most horrific ending to a wrestling match ever. Uh, I wouldn't say shocking, I'd say take a lose in the street is shocking. But that was horrific. Oh, it was absolutely terrible. Uh, Kevin Nash has said back in interviews that he claimed to have had nothing to do with the booking of this. Which is him, it's essentially him implying that it's all Hogan. You know, there's various other things, you know. But, my god, I mean, you've got you adver- you've advertised all night you're going to do the biggest match ever. And you produced that. And worst of all to some people, they all, this, this was bringing back the NWO. Now, we were in 1999, the NWO had been about for two and a half years. Was this... Should the NWO have never been seen again before this moment? Would the NWO have run its course? Yeah. I think that's... See, the, see with things like the NWO and even DX, see, once it's done once, leave it alone. Because when they brought back DX with Triple H and Shawn Michaels later on, it was the same result. It was good, it was funny, but it was just nothing like the original. Yeah, I mean... Looking at the original incarnation, obviously this wasn't the original incarnation, but the, the names that were starting to come about in the original... Uh, NWO was clear, was clear, you know, uh, why it was becoming saturated. We were getting the likes, we talked about him as well, Vincent was in the NWO, so that was obviously, I can't remember his name, Virgil. <laughs> so, Virgil and uh, Michael Wall Street, better known to people as IRS. Uh, we had Big Bubba Rogers, who was the boss man, you know, there was so, 
there was so many people that were, there was so many people, I mean, there was Dennis Rodman was in the NWO. I mean, come on, why would Dennis Rodman be in the NWO? <laughs> but do you know the thing with him and Carol Malone? Yeah. DDP and Carol Malone against Dennis Rodman and... Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan. Yeah. I mean, it was just, there was so many people at one point. I mean, it started off with three, we got four when we got DiBiase and then the Giant showed up. It kind of made sense. And it's when you start getting these names and and then I think that it was, it was too much. I think mm. bringing it back was even more. I mean, Buff Bagwell was in it, wasn't he? I think, yeah, he was. Yeah, I think actually. that was the moment it finished. I think <laughs> when Bagwell came in, you're like, too far. Too far. He, even Hulk Hogan said that. He said there was a point where it was like a football team full of people. There was, it's Conan, did we say Conan? Conan um, was in it. Conan. No, I didn't say Conan. Conan was in it. Um, like, there was just so many guys joined it. It's like half your roster's NWO, so who are they going to fight? Um. Sorry, it kind of really been stretched thin enough when they started doing the whole Hollywood v Wolfpack, and then they had something called the NWO B Team, which once you call your, once you have the word B Team in your name, you're never getting taken seriously again. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of the Mexican wrestlers started the LWO. Like at that uh, point, yeah, uh, I, love, I, I love the BWO. BCW though. <laughs> yeah, but at least was that was meant to be a, like a parody. Oh, it was funny. NWO became a parody itself by the end. Yeah, I mean. Talking about Buff Bagwell, that man had the worst week in, week in his career in WWE. He was employed for like a week it felt like and he had that match with Booker T on, on Raw, ruined the chance of getting a show on their own and then his mum called him in sick. Yep. He still denies that to this day, I've seen interviews and he still denies that that's what happened. Oh come on. His mum is more famous than he is. <laughs> <laughs> he said he lasted a week, it was a week more than he should have. Oh yeah, it was it, mixed reactions on um, Bagwell, but that moment itself it would have been bad, just on its own. We then need to factor what happened on the other channel, and partly on WCW with what happened in WWE or WWF almost at the time. Now, Alan, you alluded to this a wee bit earlier on, when mm. Mankind beat The Rock for the WWF title. Yep. Big moment for Mankind. Might not have been as big as it would have, it probably bigger than it should have been. It was big, but... Um, mm-hmm. It was the fact that we got the famous butts on seat announcement by Tony Schiavone. As I said a few minutes ago, Schiavone had a horror show that night, and it's very implied when he had continuously told the fans that night that Mankind was winning the championship, and it was the line of, oh, that would put butts on the seat. I think he regrets that to this day. He does, I've seen the interview, he said he, said he was told him to say that, and he said actually he was quite... Actually interested. <laughs> but it was, it's, if you, your boss, you're told to do what you do. You need to do it. Yeah, but it, it, it's crazy. I mean, it's kind of like WCW did that quite a lot in the year when they were winning the ratings. Well, they were giving away what WWF had done because WWF was pre-taped most of the time at that point in time. Mm. It's hard to think that you'd have a pre-taped Raw in the current day, considering you know, we're in the days of the internet. Spoilers are ripe, you know. I mean, you look at NXT. I mean, you, you know what happens in NXT about six weeks in advance if you stay away from it <laughs> same with TNA you know but uh, yeah giving away that one was risky was, was risky but it was working for a lot of the time mm-hmm. until this point in time because they forgot about the fact that obviously Mankind didn't do very much in WCW he was obviously Captain Jack Mick Foley but didn't quite have the same appeal they obviously forgot that six months earlier this man was launched off of a cell <laughs> for, a, and for, for the good of the re- of wrestling and the good of WWF Horrible move, horrible move. Mm. Uh, 300,000 people changed the channel. <laughs> it's amazing, I mean. I look back at it, that's one of my favourite moments of Raw history. Uh-huh. I absolutely love it. What's your, what's, what's your memories of that actual moment while we talk about it, guys? Uh, Scott, what's your thoughts? Uh, like I said, like, 
it has it had been something they'd done before, like giving away the results, but what they hadn't taken into account is back when they did it originally, the WWE product wasn't good. Mm-hmm. I yeah, think because totally. just because uh, Mick Foley hadn't done a lot in WCW, I think they didn't they didn't really account for how over he'd become in WWF. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think they even say in one of the one of the war documentaries, uh, I think it was Jericho, it said, when you look back at the biggest war blunders, this will be right up there. Yeah, I mean, it, it was, mankind was a bit annoyed. Mick Foley was a bit annoyed himself because he heard about it. And he's like, "Oh, he's ruined my big night." Yeah, you know. But he obviously got the last laugh. I mean, <laughs> I think you could re- try and quantify the pop that Austin got when he came out and helped him. It was oh. absolutely amazing. You know? But I, th- I think it's WWE. It's say WCW kind of shot themselves in the foot. If you're going to re- release the results, release it something that people meh about. Yeah. But Mick Foley was really over. Everybody liked him. You see the, the King of the Ring thing, and he's building his way up, and he it, it, it went from the mankind to the, the brown suit to the, the, ta- the shirt and tie and visiting Vincent Hospital, <laughs> the lovable character, yeah. that everybody started to like him. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you've just said, oh, by the way, this person you saw really like is going to win the world title tonight, everybody's went, oh, really? Oh, forget this, and they've just bailed. Yeah. So, which I think was the really dumb thing to do. Oh, it was so, sh- it was so, so stupid. I, I, I don't, I think as well, I'm right in thinking that WCW ended a wee bit later than Raw that night, so what I think, I, I'm, I might be completely wrong, but I think if, on that theory they've obviously seen about that, thought, oh, fuck the channel, see him win the title, great, let's see how, let's see how Nitro ended, mm-hmm. oh. and then they see finger poker doom. <laughs> Nobody come back. It's like, <laughs> it's like, oh my god. Well, oh, that was nice. <laughs> 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 you know, we talked about earlier about uh, the Goldbergs table and being on free TV, mm-hmm. and well, the difference between that and the Mankind one is this was part of a story that I think started at Survivor Series where Mankind getting screwed and The Rock becoming the corporate champion, and this would be a story that would continue the next month with that, like at the I Quit match a few months later. See, that, they were doing this as part of a, just a next chapter of a, of a story. WCW did the thing with Goldberg, it's like a cheap ratings boost. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was definitely, but it was an absolute disaster for WCW, and it was one that they evidently wouldn't recover. But there was obviously there was there was signs. Obviously, we talked about some of the main signs, but there was wee signs that were um, evident beforehand, and they were creeping in so much more as we got into 1999. Now we talked about kind of Dennis Rodman was something that obviously they were employing all these celebrities in there, but some of them you couldn't really understand why they were using them. You got Dennis Rodman, Jay Leno. The Chucky character was in there. I mean, there Robocop. So much. Sorry? Robocop. Robocop yeah. was years before that. That was that, that, was, the that was the same. The guy couldn't move. We had, yeah, let's put him in a wrestling ring. Yeah, they had the. Was it the Kiss, Mo- Kiss Monster as well? Kiss Demon. Kiss Demon. Oh they, my they'd god. They done that whole triple threat thing with Vampiro's thing and Kiss. Hey. The Kiss Demon. It was just ugh. like Slashier as well. I give it sub zero. Sub zero. Oh my god, that was so much bad. But I think around the best time, the thing that was frustrating a lot of people was the fact that uh, they were getting sick of these high level talents. We talked about we've talked about Nash, Hogan, Hall, these type of people using creative control power, and it was going too much. But what many people were noticing was there was such a, a talented roster underneath them. Now we talked about like I said the best example I think to many people was Chris Jericho. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think Chris Jericho had a very good feud with Goldberg. I think I remember in 1988. I think, I think I, I also had this feud with Malenko as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he first brought out the list, <laughs> was it the submission list or something? Yeah, it was man with a thousand four holds. Man's the thousand four holds. <laughs> brilliant. Uh, but always he felt he 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 deserved better, and he was the first to jump ship. First main one really to jump ship back to the WWE. And look what has happened to his career. Skyrocketed. There was so many guys in that type of ra- in that type of bracket. I mean, 
We talk about there was guys like the Radicals and there was the Cruiserweight division. There was so much. Uh, I mean, WWE they were, they chose to go with some of their young guys, and I think that helped. Did WCW miss a trick in purely targeting their main guys? Alan? Uh, absolutely. Mm. You know, you get Eddie Guerrero, a solid mid carder who went on to become world champion. Chris Benoit, um, Malenko was a solid mid carder in WWF, WWE. So was Perry Saturn. But as you were just saying, Chris Jericho, he's a future Hall of Famer. You know, first ever undisputed champion. Nine-time Intercontinental Champion. I mean, the list goes on and on. They made a huge mistake by not giving these guys the push. And thankfully, McMahon seen the talent in them, but especially Jericho earlier on when he thought, right, I'm bringing this guy over to split the Rock and Austin up. And it was genius. Yeah, I mean, uh, Strack, on previous shows, you've mentioned of being a great fan of the light heavyweight division. Obviously, you mentioned that WrestleMania 98. Was it 98 WrestleMania? The yeah. Aguila against Takamichinuku. Yeah. It became serious. I, I mean... WCW had an amazing like, cruiserweight division and then it kind of the good thing is it kind of just jumped ship out of TNA and it created the X division mm-hmm. but because I mean you got like, teams like Young Dragons you had Three Count you had Juventud Guerrera you had all the, the brilliant really good high flyers and that was more my style of wrestling so when I watched it that's what made me interested because I'll be honest Hogan Nash matches and things like that were boring to me because mm-hmm. it was just really Clothesline, clothesline, bump, bump, finish. I mean, WCW, did they not have the, the Cruiserweight Tag Team Championships as well towards they the end? They had for a, uh, towards the end, they had that, and it was kind of the Freebirds role, because they had the three count against the Young Dragons. It was Shannon Moore, I'm really Shane glad Helms, somebody else remembers three count. Aye. <laughs> and Evan Courageous. Yeah. And they had the hang against Dr- Young Dragons. I can't, Jimmy Wangang was one of them. It surely was, yeah. Kaz, Hayashi, and somebody else. I can't I apologise to the guy's name. But um, they had a really good feud with the three, the six-man tags that they had, because they were just... Non-stop, total non-stop action. That's the thing. They were just so out there, and same way that give props to Vince to bring over the radicals because these guys are no six-foot muscle monsters. They're just really sound technical wrestlers. Same with Jericho. You bring in guys who are solid workers. The result paid off. I, mean, I remember some of the guys that were in that cruiserweight division that you talk about. There was some. There was some fantastic guys at one point. I mean, we had the uh, psychosis in. Moving to Guerrero when they had the masks on, they would, they would put on great shows all the time. Yeah, that's the first time I've ever seen Lu- uh, Lucian, uh, Lucian Thunder Liger was on WCW. Oh, I remember And he altered Ultimo Dragon. He had Rey Mysterio before he got big, which was confusing why he'd done that. But, I mean, his match with Eddie, with the, the purple suit. Yeah, I remember. I that really was just, that's, a, that, is a, that is how you do a, a, a high-flying match. And the psychology of that match was brilliant as well. I mean, you've kinda, you've, you talked about Ultimo Dragon, you kind of feel sorry for him a wee bit because he had such a solid run in the likes of WCW in New Japan and then he went to WWE and he's forever remembered just for that one moment at WrestleMania 20 <laughs> where he nearly decked on the stage. Well, that was the thing, Ultimo Dragon, Austin Aries just tried to beat his record because Ultimo Dragon had 13 titles. Oh, does that, the does that, does the picture of him holding all those ah, belts? Ah, he puts his hands out and he's got a title doing every single arm and run his neck or his waist. And you know, like, Ultimate Dragon was an amazing competitor, and kind of went to WWE and got ruined. Yeah, there was there was some other names as well that kind of were developing there. We talked about uh, Shane Helms, Gregory Helms. He was he was the last cruiserweight champion. Uh, Elite Skipper as well. He's always remembered for that moment in TNA when he balanced on the triple ca- on the cage on the six sided cage. <laughs> yeah, that was just please don't die moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, you had Lance Storm as well. Oh yeah. Lance Storm was for one time in cruiserweight and hardcore champion at one time and uh, US champion and he renamed all three belts and the, Aye, the, the Canadian can. title the Canadian cruiserweight title I thought it was hilarious <laughs> I recruited Hapsaw Jim Duggan at the Team Canada I remember Aye. that one very well I thought see if Bobby Roode done that Bobby Roode won the US title and then it made it the Canadian 
title, I'd have thought I'd be silly race, but no, I never pulled the trigger on that. Yeah, but it was such a talented uh, Lord Division. I mean, uh, Scott, obviously I know that you were very young at this point in time, you probably don't remember it as well, but talking about some of the names we just mentioned there, are you surprised it didn't utilise them better? Yeah, I mean, like Jericho, like, it's hard to know if he really would have been like a main event or in WCW, but at least giving him more of a chance than they did. Like, and we can see throughout his career, whatever chance he, get, he gets, whatever TV time he gets, especially in WCW, he utilises it to the best of his ability, especially after he turned heel. Mm-hmm. Like one of the funniest moments in WCW, I think, is when he went to Washington after he got screwed out of the TV title, and he went around with a site, big sign outside the pub, outside, and he said a conspiracy victim with a big arrow pointing down at him. <laughs> <laughs> he's protesting outside the White House, and he's trying to get in, but the guards won't let him in. Oh, Gulak needs to do that. Oh, <laughs> oh Gulak needs to go. Needs to go to the White House. Going maybe no flies on. Maybe that's why he's over there now. <laughs> <laughs> Bravo, Bravo. But, uh, another thing about uh, we talk about the cruiserweights. I've watched bits of some matches, but basically, like, uh, like say, Ultimate Dragon v Rey Mysterio or Dragon v Dean Malenko. They're good matches, but what's off-putting about them is the commentary don't really care. Like they're focusing mm. on what's coming up, like Hogan, who's Hogan fighting in the main event, and even if they do know them, like, all these guys are known for like Mexico or, or Japan, and also the commentators don't do their research, or they're not giving any much facts about them, like, oh, that was a cool looking move, wasn't it? <laughs> and then when they do try to make them seem serious, look, uh, look like serious competitors, the audience are conditioned, they make them look conditioned to seeing them as opening card acts, like, when they try to make uh, Billy Kidman a credible threat to Hulk Hogan, it just didn't work. I, I remember that. That was that was when it was starting to become an issue. I mean, I think having uh, Hogan end up battering him, I think it was that uh, Spring Stampede. I'm trying to remember. Aye, aye, aye. Nash hit him with a bat in the ankle. Didn't, uh, he, didn't Hogan throw him in a trash can at one point? I think so. <laughs> Just goes to show what they thought of, of guys like him. In the yeah. trash can, Nirvana boy. Yeah, but Billy talked about that. But Billy Kidman was really good, but. He, mm-hmm. They tried to kind of elevate them, but didn't kind of work. But there was a lot of guys, there was so much talent there, and it was just um, the main ones kind of that come to mind, the likes of the Guerreros and uh, the Jerichos and that type of thing. So there were, but a great example, I think, of how, of how this was working. We talk about in 1998, where you, uh, you mentioned uh, Scott about Halloween Havoc 98, where we had uh, Warrior versus Hogan. Uh-huh. Two guys who'd fought in the 80s, 10 years later, wasn't the same. Round about that time, we were getting on WWE, we were getting that kind of triple feud between Kane, Undertaker and Austin. Which was a lot more fresh, I mean Kane had come in for a year and he was hot as anything. Yep. And no pun intended. <laughs> uh, obviously Austin was the biggest star in the world, Undertaker was, was obviously big as he was. Eventually The Rock was starting to come through, I mean you look at that compared to that, I mean Halloween Havoc 1998 was a terrible pay-per-view. I mean, mm. absolutely horrible show. That show you're talking about is uh, Breakdown. So I've got that in VHS, that's how old I am. Yeah, that's a brilliant pay-per-view. But you had two Absolutely. main events, you had yeah. the tri- triple threat, well technically a handicap with Austin and uh, against Kane and Undertaker, then you had the Rock, Shamrock and Mankind in a cage match. First of all, triple threat cage before match. Before that as well, and that was a brilliant match, you had so many good mm-hmm. matches before mm-hmm. that, and you're like, this is why they're beating you, because they're putting new combinations together. WCW was just all, this. somebody said this, they're using the same guys, the same matches. Yeah. Over and over and over again to a point where you're like, oh, I'm bored of this. Yeah. I mean, on the note of that one, actually, that reminds me of the one of the old WCW games. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I would use the same move all the time, and Tony Schiavone would actually say on commentary, he's using the same move over <laughs> and over again. <laughs> You've discovered a glitch. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, bro. That was a really good show. I, I, I looked at the breakdown show that year, obviously, we had that triple threat match as well, but 
What a great show, I mean, DX versus Southern Justice and Jeff Jett. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, that was good. The best, sorry, the best part about that Triple Threat main event is uh, Undertaker gets tossed into the steps and you can hear a very high-pitched man in the crowd ask Undertaker if he's okay. The <laughs> <laughs> uh, falls count anywhere match between Bradshaw and Vader. <laughs> mm -hmm. well, that, that's, that's yes. as well, the Brood was introduced. I was going to that's say, Patricia made his uh, debut. Edge against Owen Hart. Owen Hart and that was a brilliant match and uh, that was solid. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's, it's so something that we've never moved on to talk about a WWE pay-per-view. <laughs> or what was happening? That just shows what happened with WCW. <laughs> that, that, just, that just shows how badly they were utilising their undercard at this point in time. Yeah. But I think we then go forward to a bit later that year into 2000, and that's where we got the man we know as Vince Russo coming into WCW. Now I don't know if we're from. People we might be too harsh on Vince Russo, but Vince Russo, I think it is fair to say, he played a big part in the Attitude Era. Mm. I think it's hard to kind of argue with that fact. Uh, he had that big history with WWE. That's, you don't understand why they hired him. I mean, this guy's came in, he did all that. What can he do with us? But I think the issue they had with Vince Russo is there was a clear lack of structure. And the main kind of structure was a, was a man named Vince McMahon. <laughs> there was nobody like that. and. What we led to was some stuff I'll talk about later, but was that, on hindsight, bad move to bring him in yeah. and not put, give him so much control? Yep. I'll, I'll be honest, I think, this is a this is my opinion, I think this, Vince Russo and Hogan kind of went to WCW to bring it down for the inside. See, I've heard that, there is, people have that type of theory. Mm -hmm. that I think that for that day one, because Hogan having creative control, but then I'll be able, to be able to jump back to WWE whenever he felt like and Vince Russo going for the hottest product in WWE to then go to WCW. Nah, this doesn't add up. This doesn't add up. Yeah, it, it was a bit weird, you know. Uh, but they did offer him <coughs> such a big... Apparently he was offered a massive contract. Him and um, Ed Ferreira were both to, that, to lead the WCW revival. It was apparently... The, uh, obviously, we are all familiar with the Attitude Era. It was controversial. Things would change quickly, but it was pay it was at a pace. One of the things people would say about his booking in WCW was he tried to do the same, but quicker. No. And yeah, that never works. He was a desperation to it. He had to turn it around faster. Yeah. And you felt it when you watched the matches and you looked back at it, you could see it. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, here's a stat for you. How many times did the, the WCW World title change hands in six months? Oh, it changed so much. Oh, it changed. Was this the point where I kept one? We'll the point out. We'll, we'll talk about heaven a bit. How many times? How many times? Oh. 13. No, I would say about 16. 28. 15 times in oh. 6 months. It so changed hands. So close. That's how Booker C says he's a 5 time champion, because that was a great week. Oh, <laughs> 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 may, may, may as well have won the hardcore title. <laughs> <laughs> he, did win it. He, he, he did win it a lot in his last year. I mean, fair play, fair play to him. He'd worked his way up and he probably deserved to be champion. Yeah. But they gave him it so many times it was unreal. But they gave him it after Arquette had already won it though. <laughs> well, we'll talk about Arquette in a bit, don't worry about it, we'll go a bit on that one. But uh, yeah, it was like, he, he was doing that, things were... The one thing you could say about him though, he was trying to, he did try to push these younger talents, mm -hmm. but because he was doing all this so quickly, it was hard to kind of buy into anybody as a proper star because they were winning the title, losing the title, winning the title, losing the title, you know, it was so, it was so much hot potato going on. Uh, but one of the things I think that many people remember Russo's spell in WCW for was some of the matches we got. Oh my god, some of the matches. How many times things can we see on a pole? <laughs> <laughs> well, also the question that Vince Russo asked himself. 
<laughs> I mean, that's why I was talking earlier on how Judy Bagwell's more famous than Buff. Well, that was a, that was a new creative strategy. It's like, I think it's on a pole. What can we get on a forklift? <laughs> <laughs> it's still a pole, Vince. <laughs> yeah, it was the Judy Bagwell on a pole match. Uh, we had Viagra on a pole match. Uh, we had Piñada on a pole match with the Mexican wrestlers. I mean, come on. We had that, that Sam Francisco 49ers match where he four boxes, one of them has the title in it, and then Booker T opens one, and it's a framed picture of Scott Hall, and he just looks in the camera as if to say, like, even, even, even he realises what the hell is this become? Was that on the same match that the title fell at the back yeah. of the box? Yeah, <laughs> 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 the box says he went and gets it. He's the champion, alright, he's not picked it up. <laughs> I genuinely could not remember that bit with Scott Hall, that's brilliant. Could you imagine opening something that's just Scott Hall, like, it could have been worse, it could have been Norman Smiley or something like that. <laughs> guess what you're getting, <laughs> Stevie, guess what you're getting for Christmas? A framed photo of Scott Hall. Yes! And Gilbert. I'll get Virgil to sign it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if you feel sorry for how I waited away, but... Oh my god, but... There was, there was just... The clear lack of filter was so obvious. I don't think it was more obvious than the fact that when we got the Oklahoma character, do you remember that one? Oh. Yeah. yeah um, Scott, do you want to describe it briefly? Quickly? Uh, I've only heard of it because uh, of how Jim Cornette's rants about it. Essentially, it was a character who was meant to be a parody of JR, and he, he would speak with like, one side of his mouth, but it was meant to parody uh, a real illness that yeah. JR had his Bell's palsy. His Bell's palsy, yeah, the character took, very poor taste. took the mick out of JR's Bell's palsy. Uh, Jim Cornette has been well vocal in saying that he was going to absolutely annihilate Ed Ferreira, who played Oklahoma, for doing that. And he, to the pre- he, he, he still says about it, he, he was so annoyed with it. I mean, granted, it doesn't take much to annoy Jim Cornette, but. Well, yeah, but JR, well, history has shown is one of his closest friends as well. Mm, and, yeah. he's, and he's had a serious illness, which he struggled with for a lot of his life. And then to have somebody go on national TV and uh, take the mick out of him. It's really hard to watch, so I mean, you would get as annoyed as well. Mm. Oh, if you yeah. really want to have fun, just tweet a photo of Vince Russo to Jim Cornette. <laughs> <laughs> that is the best, that's the most fun you'll have all night. Have you done, have you done that as well? Aye. That's what you did. Did gifts. I blocked me for 24 hours, and unblocked me. Really? Aye. I've tweeted Vince Russo once, and I'm really sad I didn't get a reply back. <laughs> you, gifts, you, you, might get, you might get some type of reaction. He was, he offer, he was offering to people pay him money, he cut promos on people they knew, and I asked him, you put, cut a promo on yourself would have been your own biggest mark <laughs> <laughs> I'm sad I didn't get a response I mean. oh, it would be quite good if did get one but, uh, uh, Russo's spell temporarily as the main booker of the company ended when he tried to make Tank Abbott the world champion anybody who's not familiar with Tank Abbott he's a UFC fighter Meh. Now, well, that reference just went right over my head <laughs> <laughs> yeah he had no that wasn't really trained the crowd didn't want him as the champ and they tried to make him champ but that's the point where we're like Yep, we'll probably take you away, and we'll try and rebuild. But he did eventually return as an on-screen figure in 2000, where the ratings were down, him and Bishop were both reinstated, and we got that type of brat, a complete split, with the Millionaires Club and the New Blood. I mean, does people remember this, uh, this type Bigly. of thing? I quite liked it to start with. I liked the New Blood, that was quite interesting, especially the feud they had with Vampiro and Sting. That was quite interesting. That took that they went too far with that aye, it, 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 got ridic- it got ridiculous aye it's the, I mean when Vampiro covered Sting in blood and it, it was one of the matches where Vampiro was trying to beat Sting up but he couldn't get the chain off the back of him because now he couldn't do the rafters he couldn't undo the harness and just beat him up for 10 minutes while he was still <laughs> hanging for the rafter <laughs> and it's yeah. like how you got to pin him he just needs to go back up <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> that- 
<laughs> it's the was it human torch match uh, that's where he set where uh, he sets thing on fire and uh, it's, it's obviously it's a stunt double but then it's, once, he, once he's set on fire does a flip off the off the titan tron and onto like a panadator of the ramp it's like what are you doing they kind of took that one too far it was it started off really good it was good because it was like sting was his protege no was his mentor and um, kinda, then he obviously turned on his mentor and it was kind of good that way but then it just go the graveyard match it was kind of a rip I know the thing with Russo did they is quite rip off a lot of WWE stuff at the time because he made Hooventud start to speak like The Rock and I thought that would just sound juice. really weird and then you had Booker T copying The Rock's well, obviously he calls it a book in but it was The Rock Bottom it's basically what it was mm-hmm. and then they started having the, the, the graveyard match with Vampiro and Sting Obviously buried alive. There's just so many things that were just written off, and it's like I thought you, were, I thought Vince Russo was meant to be this creative guy and so, so, so original. And he was just written things off. It was the fact as well that um, you had the young guys, which were the the new bloods, were all Aye. heels, millionaires covering all faces. So it was just a way of saying, well, let's support the young guys, but we'll make them all heels. I mean, some of the guys in that stable that were heels should that don't really suit heels well. At the time, we had Billy Kidman, uh, Rey Mysterio was a heel at that point as well. I mean. I think he had Sean O'Hare and Mark Jindrak as a tag team, and they were—I don't know why they didn't go further than they did. They two were immense. Yeah, there was there was the tag division got quite good towards the end, but they didn't quite get the same. What a chronic! <laughs> oh, chronic, terrible! Don't start with chronic. Remember when they get, remember they WWF debut? I think it against the Kane Undertaker. <laughs> oh, that's one of the worst matches ever. If you've never watched that match, watch it and think, why did they do this? This is why the invasion was not great. But. Uh, can we talk about Bash of the Beach 2000? Does that ring a bit? Uh, do we remember what happened at Bash of the Beach 2000? Mm-hmm. With the infamous shoot promo from Hulk Hogan? Oh, the Jeff Jarrett um, just laying down. Yeah, that, that was funny. That, <laughs> that was an interesting pay-per-view, that one. For anybody not familiar with that one, it was Hulk Hogan versus Jeff Jarrett for the WCW World title. Jeff Jarrett laid down, Hogan won it, and then Hogan did a promo on Russo, which was... Some it's been debated. Some people say it's a shoot. Some people say it was a, it was an angle, you know. Uh, but then Vince Russo essentially came out and slaughtered Hogan. Aye. I mean, anybody with memories of that? Does it sound like something that's a shoot, or does it sound like uh, it was real life that Vince Russo maybe took too far? I don't trust anything Hogan says. But it was so funny to hear an interview that Hogan and Jarrett planned this big elaborate match, and then he just laid down. It was great. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think it was Bischoff said that uh, the plan was. Hogan would take the title, go away, and Jarrett would win it later on, and he would, Hogan would come back to him and be like the whole real world champion, and then they would have a, a match with you, the real world champion, was that kind of storyline they'd done before. But then uh, after that, when Hogan left, that was all supposedly a part of the plan, but then Russo's thing, according to Bischoff, wasn't planned, because I think Russo wanted Jeff Jarrett to win because they were friends. Mm. And if that's true, then you see, look back at his promo, he just looks like a spoiled kid coming out and shouting at Hogan just because he didn't get the result he wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Been Alan, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I don't know much about it, but pretty much what I've read about it is pretty much what the guys are saying, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you get a chance, watch it because Hogan looks so disappointed. It's great. No, it wasn't. It, it wasn't the best. T- it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't the best time in WCW history. And I think we've, we've, we've mentioned it briefly. We're going to talk about it. David Arquette, world heavyweight champion. And I mean, I know his wife was in Friends at that point, but come on. <laughs> she was mental when he went into that, apparently. Went absolutely mental. Oh, I've heard that. Uh, they, they did a, was it, there was promos about it, and I, I don't 100% know, there was her telling them off, and I don't uh, 100% know how much storyline that was. 
there was uh, another th- the thing as well the writers for Friends wrote in remember she was going by a guy that's known oh. Iron Man and he wanted to be oh, an ultimate yeah. fighter I, apparently I, that I, was a parody of David Arquette mm-hmm. saying that he wanted to go into wrestling. wrestling and that he was going to end up in a body cast yeah. and I thought that's rather harsh to date John Favreau and then as well everyone in that season of Friends was called Arquette at the end of their name uh, so like, <laughs> David Schwimmer <laughs> Arquette was that not the, the first episode of, that, of one season because I think it, was, it happened just after uh, they got I'll be there for you. <laughs> no, you really won't. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, uh, what's your thoughts on this as a booking decision, guys? I mean, were they desperate to put the belt on a, on, a, on an actor? Absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's for shock value. That's what they went for. They thought, right, what can we think? Let's just get the most untalented man we can find and put him in a ring, make him world champion for the shock factor. People will tune in for this, and they didn't. They just laughed at them. I think the reason that they done it was he brought out that movie ready to rumble yeah and I think the they thought if we make the guy that's in this wrestling movie put him over it'll kind of get us linked to the movie and the movie linked to us and that'll bring it make us relevant again but it's like no that's really not going to work no definitely not I mean remember the triple cage match that came off of that they've been they used it quite regularly that was that's a bad match poor Chris Canyon gets thrown off the top of it by Mike Awesome Quite a bad, but it's, it's it's something to watch. You should try and watch. You should watch it. Uh, Sorry, <laughs> Sorry uh, Alan said about uh, being like shock factor. I think that just really sums up uh, Vince Russo booking in a nutshell. Just all shock factor, especially in two thousand, because they were willing to do anything to get a bit of publicity. Because especially at that time in two thousand, I mean WWF could do no wrong that mm-hmm. entire year, and it was, if that wasn't bad enough, then WCW had matches like this and decisions like this, and like. Mm-hmm. Well, he ended up with a belt as well. Yeah, back in two, uh, September 2000, but a lot of people think that wasn't meant to happen because he got speared through the through uh, through the triple cage. It was meant to look like it wasn't meant to happen, so that he could have the title but not make whoever he was fighting look weak. But I think though it was, I think it was an accident because you see, kind of Booker T at the end of that, kind of looked confused as if, wait a minute, that wasn't meant to happen, mm-hmm. and he kind of just went with it. I think I, I, I don't think I was actually. I think Goldberg was meant to hit him, but no, hit him that hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, definitely, De- definitely. But it was there was a catalogue of things going on. It was hard to take it seriously. It was getting ridiculous. I mean, as Strack said, the multiple title changes as well. I mean, it was it w- granted WWE did it quite a lot in the Attitude Era, but it kind of felt a bit. But but then at WWE in the Attitude Era, it built up so many good rivalries mm-hmm. because I mean I've always said this for ages. People disagree with me. See the Unforgiven pay per view. It was a six pack challenge. Yeah. You had the Bulldog, Kane, Big Show, uh, Rock, Triple H and Mankind mm-hmm. and Austin as the Enforcer. That built up so well because you had each guy attacking each other on Raw or SmackDown and it just I thought that really that should have been a Rumble or a SummerSlam mm-hmm. match, no unforgiven, but it was still great to see it. Sorry, as well as a lot of title changes now see about that time. Titles got vacated a lot. Like I mean one night when Vince was on uh, Eric Bischoff came back in 2000 they vacated every championship took it after them all I was going to say that was a banner year for vacant Like, and that night vacant looked like Ultimo Dragon <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah I, re- I do remember that one that was the point uh, Sid Vicious was the world champion at that point in time he got the belt stripped from him then Jeff the US title took after him he was feuding with the wall I remember that one and then <laughs> we got to Spring Stampede there was a tournament in that night actually it was not bad to watch but uh, you kind of look back and it was a bit of disarray I mean 
Diamond Dallas Page's wife turned on him for Jeff Jarrett, you know? I think, wasn't there a pay-per-view in late 2000, early 2001? They had apparently two tournaments in one night, one for the tag titles, one for like the US title, or was a number one contender tournament? Uh, I think you may be talking about that night you're talking about, because there was a tournament for every championship that night. Mm. Oh, oh, like oh. a six-pack, a six-man match for the Cruiserweight Championship. But it was so disarrayed, it was no surprise that he eventually left again. We got to the start of 2001 then. It was a combination, the Turner, Turner, uh, there was a Turner, Time Warner, Time Warner, AOL, merger. They didn't want to do wrestling anymore. And essentially, Bish- we told Bischoff tried to fuel a purchase for them, but the main issue was they never got the TV deal. So that's pretty much been nailed in the coffin, I think. But I think that half the stuff that maybe happened before it probably led to the fact they never got a TV deal. Well, there was, there's another stat for you. In 2000, how much money did WCW lose in 2000? Oh, about uh, $60 million. $65 million they lost in one year. You can understand why people wouldn't want to take the risk with them for a TV deal. Mm-hmm. Maybe if they had a better year 2000-1999, they would have been a lot more attractive for a TV deal. But that's probably the thing that kind of nailed them, you know? Aye, if you've lost that much money in one year, that's... Nobody's going to take the risk. Yeah. No. So, we're towards now the end of our... Talking about the demise of WCW, Can I, I'll go around just quickly, guys, and I'll ask if he's got any more final points of, of how you thought the, the demise of WCW went. Uh, Strack, what's your thoughts? Just uh, going back to the point where a lot of guys who jump ship back to WWE, well, not back to WWE, but go to WWE. I mean, because you had guys like Chris Benoit, I watched this one live, he had a match with Sid Vicious, and he won the match, and then they done the whole reverse of the decision. And I remember watching an interview with Benoit, people text him. Saying, oh, congratulations, buddy, well done, and everything. And then text them two minutes later after Sid Vicious re won the title, man. Oh, sorry, man. <laughs> <laughs> but that's got to be disheartening to guys who, like Jericho, who is a great performer, future Hall of Famer, couldn't get by the glass ceiling. Rey Mysterio, who is an amazing performer. Eddie Guerrero, who was an amazing performer. They never seem to we'll move them up. Mm-hmm. But that was the politics for Hogan Nash Hall. Didn't he want to let anybody mm-hmm. else? Basically, they didn't want anybody else in their spot. Didn't Eddie Guerrero say in his autobiography he believed Kevin Nash was literally the devil? <laughs> he actually said that, I think. Um, yeah, I thought he's actually the devil. Oh, you probably <laughs> you, can see, you can see that. I mean, Alan, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I think the biggest problem is we were talking about it um, during the break there. This, at one point, WCW had probably a better array of talent and name only when you think about Hogan and. Um, you're talking about Hogan, NWO, Goldberg and all that but they had guys there that just weren't at the same level we were talking about it like Bret Hart was kind of his peak but Hogan was past it, Ultimate Warrior was past it Roddy Piper was past it and, and that's kind of how it fell because again these guys were coming in and they weren't prepared to go let the other guys go over mm-hmm. Yeah that, that, that was a key issue it was one of the mm-hmm. points I was quite happy to raise up because it was so many people would say that if they'd Develop them a bit more, we mm-hmm. a lot more there. I mean, Scott, what's your final point? Uh, well, that's clearly a lot of my knowledge is from like after the fact, but looking at it, it is a real shame that WCW went the way it did because, like, going into '97, they had a real chance of being like one of the biggest companies, maybe even surpassed WWF, but I think it was just their own, like, they just made too many mistakes that eventually, by, by the time Vince bought it, it was essentially a case of putting it out of its misery. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, uh, Quacko, you've observed this show from a distance all in. Have you, from what you've heard, what do you think was the main reasons that WCW went down? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it was, um, like, from what I was hearing, I think it's just, like, 
like see when it comes to like I work in marketing. Mm-hmm. To me, negative marketing never works. You should always focus on what you're doing and not focus on what other people are doing. The minute you start trying to put down other people, that it comes across as quite desperate and people kind of switch off to you automatically. Mm -hmm. It 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 has to be something stupendously good that you're doing in that that sense and to replace it. But from what I'm hearing, I don't think they were really doing anything because at me personally, I never really watched WCW. My only exposure to WCW was the Alliance, and even you guys are telling me that wasn't the full WCW, and now mm-hmm. I'm starting to see it. Mm-hmm. So I think it was just the whole negative, oh, this will put blocks in the seats, oh, we're going to fight them, we're going to do that, and they, really, yeah. that was just the nail in the coffin. I think Vince said that, Vince said in an interview, he says, WCW were focusing on us and themselves, this is, mm-hmm. we were just focusing on ourselves, Yeah. so they were doing double work, we didn't have to do much, so, I, as you say, that's completely right. Worry about your own problems, don't worry about it in somebody else's. Mm-hmm. Totally. And to be fair, that's why that's how WWE, WWF, uh, they just kept doing what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Eventually, found a way through it, and that's why they are they're still with us today. They're still the powerhouse, and it's hard to find anybody who's going to be close to them to the same way WCW. Uh, we never know, you know. Things could change, you know. It's a shame, but because I mean, we having competition, it makes it better because there is a lot of things we could sit here and gripe about WWE. That's the only thing. Okay, mm-hmm. it's. How many guys have we WWE had for 10, 15 years now? We've seen them constantly. But yeah. Mm. I mean, uh, TNA made a brief push to try on the Monday yeah. night, to reunite the Monday Night Wars, but it just didn't have the same effect. And Hogan went there and they went under. Surprise, surprise. I, so, coincidence. Yeah, but it was the same thing. TNA at one point, again, like I said earlier, had a better roster, I think, than WWE. And, but again, they didn't utilise it, and that's how they're in this mess now. Nope, they've lost practically every major talent they've ever had. Yep. Like Gladys said about poor marketing, like TNA going to them were poor were renowned for being bad at promoting house shows. Like mm. people would run into AJ Styles in the town and not realise their show was going on, or people would run into Rob and Never Angle and not realise they were still wrestling. Mm. Because p- few people knew about TNA. And they based everything on Spike TV. Spike TV was when he saved us all. Now part of Channel 5. <laughs> <laughs> now went the challenge. <laughs> So yeah, that has been our summary on the events that led to the demise of WCW. If you have, again, if you listen to us for the first time, follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram if you take pictures of yourself watching the WWE Network. <laughs> we are at Suplex Retweet. Our full back catalogue is available on both iTunes, Anchor and a variety of podcasting sites. Go on to a podcasting site, search for us, you may find us. Otherwise, you won't try another one. Uh, again, Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. Full back catalogue, including shows where we went through the full weekend week weekend of WrestleMania. We've done everything. We talked about we talked about three MB. Come on, <laughs> we have went the full scale. <laughs> Next week on the show, we will be moving away from WWE, WCW related things, and focus back in our own backyard in Scotland, where we'll be previewing ICW Baramania. So we'll be talking about all the matches in that show. Plus, we'll have a snippet of the interview I have just done with ICW star Lionheart. So that's something to look forward to. So that's next week. But from the team here this week, I've been Stephen Wilson. I'd like to thank Stephen Stratton. Strack. Thanks very much. And if you want to see what I tweeted to Mojo Riley, I'd mean Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> What's your handle? Uh, Strackaconda. Excellent. Uh, from, from the big dog, Alan McLucas. Thanks very much, mate. You want a Twitter plug? McLucas Alan. <laughs> You're private. You can't plug yours. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want weirdos adding me. <laughs> So I do, about, if you, you do actually you. do something, I will get a reply. Uh, sorry, uh, I'm going to be controversial here. I don't understand people are going to Twitter and make it private. So I want people to know what I'm talking about, but I don't want them to know. 
<laughs> like a nosy neighbour. <laughs> There's certain things that come up that oh, you don't want. Nah, nah, no, cop out. From Veronica's favourite son, Scott McLeod. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to be finally be on the main show. <laughs> What's your handle, Scott? Uh, at Scott McLeod1986. You also have a podcast, I'll let you plug it quickly. Uh, Scott and Paul's Rambling Podcast at SP Rambling. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Uh, from myself, Stephen Wilson, Stephen W1192, and Quacky Raja EP. Nobody wants my Twitter handle, I tweet rubbish. <laughs> he does. <laughs> 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 we will see you next week so till then catch you later <laughs>